You might be surprised to find that in the New Testament, the apostles, particularly Paul and Peter, were always warning the church about being taken in by myths and fables. They were always concerned about the people believing something that wasn't true or scripture being misunderstood or twisted or skewed because truth matters. It really matters. And so I'm going to take uh, the next few weeks and talk to you about some myths that I believe have affected the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our day. And I'm going to begin today with talking about what I want to call the myth of Christian pacifism. Christian pacifism. And I want to show you the words of Jesus right out of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that the words we're about to read had a lot to do with, is it up there? Is it up there? There it is. Have a lot to do with why the church has kind of become passive. Why we haven't become involved. Why we're kind of timid. As a matter of fact, the spirit of intimidation has come upon the church of Jesus Christ in America. Political correctness has done it. You'll hear me mention that several times in this service. And I hope that I can just blow political correctness out of here. And we can begin to walk in the boldness of Christ. Now, let's read these verses very familiar to us. First chapter of Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three whole chapters are, are dedicated to it. But here's, here's one portion of the first chapter. Jesus says, Do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anybody in here like that? If you like that, raise your hand. I, I'm gonna, do, do you like turning the other cheek? If you do, then I'm going to give an altar call. And we're going to pray for you. Because I don't like that. that. That's hard, isn't it? But it goes on. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. That sounds to me like kind of a wimpy church. I can take that to mean that I'm just kind of laying down and letting you walk on me. A lot of people have taken it that way, but it's not true. We're going to see how in just a minute. Lord, thank you for your church that is the greatest change agent on earth. Thank you, Lord, that I believe your church is rising up in our day. There is a, a segment, there is a remnant rising up in boldness and in strength and in power. I pray that this church will be one of them. And thank you, Lord, for getting out of us any misinterpretation or misunderstanding of this and putting into us the rightly divided word of truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're stronger than you think. I really believe it when I say the church is the single greatest agent of change on the earth. It's not a political party, it's the church. It's not the United States government, it's the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and listen to this, I will heal their land. Now, that means that the greatest agent of change in the earth today is the church. There's no greater agent of change. So why then isn't the church changing? 
America more than it is? Well, I'm going I'm to explore a few reasons, I think, today. Now, I could have replaced pacifism with wimpism. The myth of Christian wimpism or pacifism, but wimpism didn't sound as sophisticated as pacifism. So I wanted to mainstream this better, so I chose pacifism, but pacifism and wimpism are really kind of synonymous. Y'all are quiet today. Don't call me a wimp. I'm not calling you a wimp. I'm just saying the church has been, I think, wimpified more than it needs to be. Now, I believe the myth of Christian pacifism has played a part, I really do, in stripping the church of a big slice of its influence and its power. The church is the greatest agent of change in the earth. When we ought to be on the front lines confronting our sinful culture in power, in boldness, and in truth, we feel our job instead is to not be involved or just bless them or show them the love of Christ or let's be sure we don't judge anybody. And political correctness and the philosophy of political correctness has found its way, weaved its way, snuck its way into the church. Now, I want to be real clear today that I believe in showing the love of Christ. I think if you don't show the love of Christ, you're missing the message of the gospel that you are to speak the truth in love. But love does not mean that you are a pacifist or non-assertive or non-confrontational. As a matter of fact, real love will tell the truth. Real love will confront. Real love will get involved. Real love will stand up. Real love will say something. Now, one way the myth of Christian pacifism has gained ground in the church of our day, I believe, is by misinterpreting the words of Jesus in the text that we just read. Listen to the words again. Don't resist evil. What does that mean? Or turn the other cheek. When you are attacked, when you are confronted, when you are persecuted, just turn the other cheek and, and just sort of lay down and, and, and die and take it. We've interpreted his words to mean that the Christian should be sort of wimpy, passive, weak, non-forceful, non-assertive, non-confrontational. That we should just sort of let people walk on us by turning the other cheek. And I really do believe that's the message that our culture has gotten. Because look at the way Hollywood treats the church. We are the only fair game out there. They will not produce movies that have to do with Islam or any other world religion, but they produce them all the time that persecutes and slaps Christians around. I believe part of the message we've given to this culture is, go ahead, walk on me, tread on me, abuse me, and do whatever you want, because I'm just going to turn the other cheek. I am not going to be a force that is felt, and I don't believe that's the will of God for His church. And I believe if we don't get the real message we're going to lose this country. One person writes, quote, years ago, I thought this passage was pretty clear. If somebody wants to insult you, attack you, or murder you, your job as a Christian was simply to take it. Just take it. Now, first, I believe that this view of the church's response to adversity has come through the way that we have been taught to look at the person of Christ. See, it matters how you see God. It matters what you believe about God. 
It matters about the way we see Jesus. How do we view Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? And what kind of a person do we think that he was? Was Jesus wimpified? Was Jesus this gentle, non-pushy, non-assertive, non-confrontational, nice guy that just went around saying good things? And is that the way we're supposed to be? Because that's the way we see him. It matters the way we view God because the way we view God and the way we view Christ is the way we're going to act. So it's real important that we get the real message on who Jesus was. And I don't think a lot of the church in America has a good concept, a fully orbed concept of who Jesus really was and is. We're taught early on that Jesus was the ultimate nice guy. We love the scenes of him blessing the children, putting them in his lap. Bless the little children, for as such is the kingdom of God. We, we see him crying over Jerusalem, forgiving the adulterous woman. John the Apostle leaning his head on Jesus' chest at the first Lord's Supper. We view him as the gentle Jesus, the Jesus that blessed, the Jesus that taught on love and forgiveness and peace. And he did. He did all those things. We like to sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's my buddy. He's my pal. I, I really have a friend in Jesus. And if we're not careful, we humanize him too much. We need to see the other side of Jesus. But we like the nice Jesus, don't we? The nice Jesus. He's our friend. He's our buddy. We, 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 we want the nice Jesus. We believe in a nice Jesus. But church, I got to tell you today, the nice Jesus that we are see so often portrayed in paintings and pictures of him on Sunday school hallways, that Jesus is not the whole Jesus, not the complete Jesus, not the fully orb, well-rounded Jesus. There's more to him than that. I'm going to tell you the real Jesus was a Jesus we wouldn't recognize today. The real Jesus was tough. The real Jesus was sinewy. He was muscular. He was raised in a carpenter's wood shop. His hands were calloused. His skin was sun-beaten. He was rough. He was rugged. He was tough. He was not this genteel, finely, uh, finely kept man that we see so often in the paintings portrayed with the blonde hair and the blue eyes like a first century hippie in sandals walking around saying nice things and just being a really nice guy. Our Jesus was a tough Jesus. He was tough. He was a man's man. Can I go ahead and say that and get away with it? The real Jesus was tough. He walked miles and miles and miles every single day, the sun beating down on his skin, on his body. He was not handsome. He was not physically attractive. Isaiah told us there's no beauty in his natural appearance that we would want him, and yet he was irresistibly magnetic. His personality drew you like a moth to a light bulb. His love, his truth, the force of his personality was irresistible. He wasn't just a nice guy. What about the Jesus that walked into the temple with a whip and drove out the money changers with such ferocity they fled in fear? What about that Jesus? Now y'all are so quiet, you're going, now you're messing up my picture of the gentle Jesus. Now I'm going to all that rough stuff because we're politically, we are politically correct in this day and we don't want to talk about that side of Jesus because he wouldn't make it an artist. No, I'm going to tell you something. They would crucify him in this culture in short order. 
the real Jesus would not be recognized in a lot of churches. I'm going to tell you what the real Jesus did. John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17. John tells us Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather. He sat outside the temple and he himself constructed a whip. And it says he walked into the temple and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, turning the tables over, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. And I'm going to show you now. Grown men fled from Jesus in fear. So much for gentle Jesus, so much for nice Jesus, so much for genteel Jesus. My Jesus has many aspects to his character and personality. There is a full spectrum to him that we do not fully get. What about the Jesus that regularly made scathing, difficult, harsh-sounding statements to his listeners? Like this one. You people of this day have no faith. How long must I be with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Jesus? Is that gentle Jesus? Nice Jesus? That wasn't very nice. You're judging us. Jesus often reprimanded his own disciples who had left hearth and home to follow him 24-7. And yet he said to them things like this, why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? How would you like to be on the receiving end of that? But see, what I'm telling you about Jesus is he was a truth teller. He was a straight shooter. He didn't him and haw and er and uh. He told you the truth about something and he told you in love to make you a better person. But he did not hold back. He was truthful. He was blunt. He was painfully truthful at times. And I want to just pop another bubble while I'm at it. Contrary to the current teaching of political correctness that tells we Christians, we should never judge others, that if we judge others, we are not walking in love. Well, Jesus would not have passed the test with them either because Jesus thoroughly judged and criticized the religious leaders of his day. Jesus taught us to be fruit pickers. He said, I want you to judge the fruit in people's lives. And if the fruit is not righteous, if it's not good, then I want you to tell them about it. I want you to address it. I want you to judge people and tell if the fruit of their life is good or bad. He was not politically correct. You know what that says, church? Don't ever let somebody politically correct, don't let this culture tell you that you should not call evil evil and good good and wrong wrong or right right or unrighteousness unrighteous. You should not let political correctness tie your tongue up and muzzle you. Listen to what Jesus said. Oh man, here's an example. He was talking to people that were following him. And he said, let me tell you about the religious leaders that are walking around teaching you the word of God. He said, be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. Nice Jesus, nice guy. But he went further. It's so good, I got to read it to you. He said, now catch this. Now some of those religious leaders and teachers were standing there. And here goes Jesus telling the truth. He said, instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads, but they wouldn't lift a finger to help you. 
Sounds to me like he's being judgmental. One of those religious leaders ought to say, wait a minute, Jesus, you're not supposed to judge us like that. You're supposed to walk in love. But Jesus was walking in love. And he went on. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening like peacocks in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Did you know Jesus said those things? Gentle Jesus? Nice Jesus, perpetual nice guy. We're seeing another side to Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Is this a side we need to see in our culture today? Because you see, it's the truth that sets you free. It's, it's the truth spoken in boldness that sets people free. And our culture is being sucked down the drain of deception. And we are going down in a cesspool of immorality. And the church is saying, well, we can't judge. We can't, we can't call sin, sin. We've got to be nice can I inform you today? I don't like nice. I like kind. I like loving, but I don't like nice because nice says, I'm not going to step on your toes. Nice says, I'm not going to cramp your style. Nice says, I'm going to go along to get along. Nice says, I'm not going to offend you by calling what you're doing wrong. I'm just going to be a nice guy. We've been called and anointed to be nice. No, we haven't. Jesus wasn't nice. He was truthful. He was loving. Are you with me? Are y'all hearing me today? Because a lot of churches are saying, well, we better just hold back and not tell the truth. But if we don't start standing up and telling the truth in boldness and not walking in a spirit of intimidation, I believe we're in danger of losing this country. Have you not noticed that the other side is very bold, very forthright? So it's time for the church to stand up and say, guess what? That fruit is wrong. That fruit is evil. That fruit is bad. Here's what's right and here's what's wrong. A church that makes a difference. See, I, I think what I'm missing is a church with teeth. We're, we're gumming things to death. I miss a church with teeth. Like the early church. Jesus turned to the very Pharisees themselves, the leaders, the teachers of the law, and listen to what he said to them. I've had it with you. You're hopeless. You religion scholars, you Pharisees, frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter, and you won't let anyone else in either. You're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. You're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. Can you imagine a preacher talking like this today? See, my Jesus was a preacher. My Jesus was a preacher of righteousness. My Jesus confronted you and told you the truth. How many of you are glad that one day he told you the truth about you? He told you the truth about you. If he hadn't told you the truth about you, you wouldn't be saved today. You wouldn't be here today. Christ was honest with you and said, you're in sin and your sin is killing you. And if you don't come out of your sin, you're going to go to a hell that wasn't prepared for you. And so you need to repent and come to me. And when he was truthful with us, that's what changed us. And my concern is the church is allowing herself to be muzzled by political correctness instead of presenting the fully orbed Jesus to our culture. 
If you don't like this side of Jesus, if you like the perpetual nice guy, you're going to have to get a pair of scissors and start cutting out major parts of the red ink in your Bible. Let's say I don't like this one. I don't like where he talked to him that way. And you're going to end up with a real, truly holy Bible. Now, there's a danger in going down this path where you, you don't embrace and accept the fully orb, fully faceted Jesus of the Bible. I admit to you it's easier. It's easier to present that kind of geology. He doesn't want to cramp your style. He, he just wants to love you. That's it. That's all. He just wants to love you. He'll bless you wherever you are. And there's many different ways to God. And don't worry about it. He was just a nice guy. Came to bless your life and make it better. It's easier to cleave to our squeaky clean image of Jesus, the meek and the mild man who healed and said comforting things and taught important lessons and selflessly died. This guy with perfect teeth and flowing blonde locks, the Jesus who turned the other cheek and forgave even as they were driving nails through his hands. There's a problem. If you want to embrace only one aspect of Jesus, Andrew Greeley put it this way, quote, once you domesticate Jesus, he isn't there anymore. The domestic Jesus may be an interesting guy, a good friend, a loyal companion, a helpful business associate. But one thing he certainly is not. He's not the Jesus of the New Testament. The Jesus I'm presenting to you today is the one who's going to come back. He came as the Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah. And he's going to confront the entire world. I say to you today, church, I really believe we've got to put on all aspects of Jesus and present the whole Jesus, the complete Jesus, to this culture, to our workplace, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. Now here's the rub. If you domesticate Jesus and turn him into the quintessential nice guy, this is exactly what his followers will become. Sickeningly, over-the-top, nice. You can be sickeningly nice. You can be, there's something fake about being nice all the time. I don't feel nice all the time. Do you? Come on, tell the truth. I don't feel nice all the time. We have not been anointed with a spirit of niceness. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. It says, I want you to put away from you the spirit of fear and intimidation. For you have not been given a spirit of fear and intimidation, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And that does not equate into nice. See, I don't see a bunch of nice people changing the world in the first century with the first century Christians. Those first century disciples were just like the Jesus I just read, read to you about. They walked in love, but they walked in power. They walked in love, but they walked in truth-telling. They walked in love, but they walked in boldness. The early disciples fearlessly confronted kings with the gospel. They denounced witches and mediums. They set cities on holy fire. They faced down devils. They wore boldness like a coat, and they took the world by storm. They were a force that had to be reckoned with. May God give us that kind of church again in the United States of America. They couldn't be ignored. They couldn't be suppressed. They couldn't be set aside, pushed under the rug. This early church rose up like a roaring lion. 
And the Bible says that they became known as those that had turned the world upside down. And I assure you, they did not do that by being nice guys. When commanded by the Sanhedrin not to preach anymore in Jesus' name, they countered with, we must obey God rather than men. Now I want you to hear this. When Paul was slapped in the book of Acts, he was slapped for rebuking the high priest. Paul didn't turn the other cheek and say, oh, do that again. I'm trying to get y'all to smile a little bit today. You're, you're looking so serious. He didn't turn and say, oh, slap me again in the name of Jesus because I'm a disciple of Christ. Let me tell you what Paul said. He shot back at the person who slapped him and said, God will slap you down, you fake. Did you know that was in there? God will slap you down. What a fake you are. You sit there and judge me by the law and then you break the law by ordering me slapped around. So much for Mr. Nice Guy. So much for turning the other cheek. Say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. Wasn't he disobeying the words of Jesus by saying that? Shouldn't he have turned the other cheek? No, he shouldn't have. Because we've misunderstood that command. Turn the other cheek, resist not evil. Let me tell you what Jesus was not telling us. First, he was not saying that we should literally, when we are slapped, literally, physically, turn the other cheek. Because there's people in our day that would love to take advantage of that offer. He wasn't telling us to literally turn the other cheek any more than he was telling us later in the Sermon on the Mount to gouge out our eyes or cut off our hands in order to deal with a sin problem. If your eye makes you stumble, pluck it out. If your hand makes you stumble, cut it off. He did not literally mean that. He was speaking in what we call hyperbole, exaggeration. He was using exaggeration to make uh, a point so he did not mean you turn the other cheek and let people beat on you. Jesus was not against self-defense. Somebody slaps me, I'm not going to have long to pray about it. Somebody just walks up and slaps me, I'm not going to turn the other cheek and say, oh, in the name of the Lord, do that again because I'm a disciple of Christ. No way. He didn't create us that way. Even an animal will stick up for itself, much less you. He, he would have been, I'm going to be bold to say it today, Jesus would have been for the Second Amendment. So why do I need a gun if he's going to protect me? Listen, Simon Peter carried a sword the whole time he followed Jesus. We know that because when they came to arrest him, he pulled out his sword, which clearly had been a part of what he took with him all the time and cut off that man's ear. Jesus picked up the ear and healed him and said, Simon Peter, they that live by the sword will die by the sword. Put your sword up. But he had carried that sword for three and a half years following Jesus and not one time did Jesus tell him to put it down. I think that's a great point. If somebody broke into your house and attacked your family, sir, you are not to say, oh, children, turn the other cheek in the name of Jesus and let them do to you what they want. No, we put on the spirit of Texas at that point. <laughs> and I believe the anointing of the Lord would be with you and for you and upon you to defend your family. That's not 
what he was saying. Jesus is not teaching Christian pacifism against evil. He's not turning men into wimps. He's not emasculating his followers. Then what did he mean by resist not evil and turn the other cheek? When you're slapped on one cheek, turn the other. What did he mean? Well, a text without a context is a pretext. Context is important here. Jesus is giving us the Sermon on the Mount. And he's dealing with some common misunderstandings about the old law of Moses. Now follow me. Remember that the Jews in Jesus' day only had the Old Testament. That's all they had. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They all, they all only had the Old Testament. And they also had a very strong tradition of teaching by their priests and their rabbis, which supplemented the Mosaic law. And over the years, these teachers and rabbis had taken Moses' law and they had added on to it, addendums. They had added on to it. They had changed it up. They had skewed it. They had twisted it. And there were errors in many of their extra teachings. So one of the things that Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount was he would come along and he started correcting the errors of understanding or misunderstanding that were in the minds of the people. And every time he went to correct an error, you'll recognize this. He would say, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, but I say to you, and he would fix it. You've been taught this way, but I say to you now, and I'm going to teach you the right way. Now, one of the things they had misunderstood and been taught wrong about was what we all recognize, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Moses had given that teaching. He said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but he did not intend that to become a, an okay for you to take vengeance into your own hands. That's not what he meant. When Moses said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he was giving the rules and the law for court. The court was to rule this way, that if somebody, figuratively speaking, took out your eye, you took out their eye. If somebody cut your hand off, you cut their hand off. If somebody offended you, you offend them. If somebody stole from you, you got something from them. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's how the courts were supposed to rule. And that was what we would call fair. But the scribes came later and they said, they said, what it really means is when you yourself personally are robbed or offended or hurt or done wrong, you take vengeance into your own hands. You become your own Clint Eastwood, your own Charles Bronson, your own Terminator, your own vigilante. And he said, that's not right. Moses never meant for you to be your own vengeance taker. So he used an example. He said, notice, if you get slapped in the right cheek, that's talking about somebody right-handed backhanding you across the cheek. In Jesus' culture, that was an insult. That's all that it was. It wasn't somebody coming at you with a baseball bat. It wasn't somebody putting a gun to your head. It wasn't somebody trying to kill you. It was somebody simply insulting you. And he said, if somebody slaps you across the cheek, if they backhand you, they insult you, they say something, they do something that is offensive to you, I want you as my followers to be big enough 
to let it go, to forgive them and keep on walking and don't let it eat you alive. Don't let it carry you into a fight. Don't let it become a brawl. Don't let it be something that takes up days and weeks and months of your valuable time. I want you to give it to God and forgive them and keep on going. I don't want you to be thin-skinned. I don't want you to take everything real seriously. Anybody been insulted yet in 2012? If you haven't been insulted yet in 2012, raise your hand. Here's the million-dollar question. What did you do with what happened to you? What did you do with the insult? Jesus said that's the equivalent of being slapped across the cheek with the back of somebody's hand. He said, I want you to learn to let it go vengeance is not yours it's God's I want you to give it to him let the courts handle the more serious matters but these lesser offenses I want you to shine it on forgive them and keep on going that is great advice because almost weekly at least an offense is going to come your way somebody in traffic is going to pull in front of you somebody at work is going to rub you wrong Somebody at home is going to say something that hurts your feelings. And if we're so thin-skinned that we take every little backhanded slap seriously, we're never going to be able to put our hand to the plow and do anything for God. So he's saying, he's not saying, don't fight for yourself, don't stand up, don't be strong, don't make your presence felt. He's just saying when it's a slap across your face, be big enough to shine it on and move on down the road and give it to God. Now let me give you the promise here. Let me give you the promise. Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. When struck, don't hit back. Don't insist on getting even. Everybody say that with me. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do, the Bible says. Now here's the promise. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Let me paraphrase that for you. I've got your back. You don't have to worry about it. I see what's done to you. I see what they say, I see what they do. You know, I was telling the, the last night's service and the early service today that having been in leadership for a number of years, and I'm talking about most of my life, when you're a leader, you get most of the arrows. And I've received, I've had people in my face saying terrible things to me. I've gotten letters. Now, I'm not playing a violin. You would never have heard about this. And you never have if I hadn't been preaching on this. But I've gotten letters that would curl your toenails. I've gotten letters you wouldn't believe. Calling me every name in the book, mean-spirited, fleshly. I knew where it was from. And you know what I did? I went and found them, and I took five guys with me, and I took care of it. No, that's not what I did. <laughs> Some of you were going, all right. Uh. I said, Lord, you see this letter? You saw it written? You know what it says. I give it to you. You've got my back. And what I'm going to do, Lord, is I forgive them. Now, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual. I'm just telling you I don't have time to spend time on back slaps like that, backhanded slaps like that. I don't have time. I've got a church to lead. I've got a world to reach. And I'm not going to spend weeks and months of my time fighting with people that aren't worth it. I'm not going to do it. And here's what I've noticed. I can tell you honestly, when I gave it to God and said, Lord, I forgive them, I have watched the providential hand of God work things out in such a way. I can tell you 
that those who did that in a mean, wrong, unbiblical spirit, I've never seen them prosper. I have never seen one of them prosper. Now, does that make me happy? No. It makes me sad, actually. Because all they would have to do is come and say, I repent for saying that, doing that. I want the blessing of God in my life, but they're too proud to do it. And so I have to give them over to God, but I've never seen them prosper. The providential, sovereign hand of God has a way of making everything come around and fall in place according to his justice. Paul said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's been my MO. When I see these people in public, they think I'm going to walk up to them and confront them. Here's what I do. I shake their hand. I say hello. I smile. I say, good to see you. How you been doing? And I move on down the road. And they stand there stunned. He must not remember what I did. Oh, I remember quite well what you did. But here's what I do. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Bless those that curse you. Because then you're the children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he makes rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. So be just like him. So in teaching us to turn the other cheek, Jesus is not telling us to lie down and let evil overtake us. This is the myth of Christian pacifism. The church is not to be just nice people. We are to be like Christ, gentle, but strong, loving, but firm, meek, but no pushover, forgiving, but not passive about evil. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. God is calling a remnant today in this country to no longer put up with the wickedness and the evil that is encroaching upon our land. There needs to be churches standing up on every side, picking the fruit and saying, that's wrong and that's wrong. And here's what God says. And I'm not ashamed of him nor of his gospel. And I'm not going to let the spirit of intimidation, the spirit of political correctness, muzzle my mouth. Those days are over. I want you to stand up with me today, would you? Say, well, Pastor Jeff, man, you're coming on really strong today. Oh, let me tell you. I'd be coming on on a little bit stronger if it wasn't my third service. I want us to catch something. Stop and think a minute. Jesus, who confronted evil, who told the truth, who was a force that had to be reckoned with, they didn't crucify him for being nice. They crucified him for telling the truth. That Jesus is in us. I'm not telling you to go out and be obnoxious. But here's what I am saying. I'm saying, let's don't be intimidated to tell the truth. Hey, you want to hear a truth teller? Be here the next few weeks. I'm going to go where angels fear to tread. And I'm going to share some things, myths that have gotten into the church. But this first one, I want us to pray that that pacifism will have no place in this church and in churches all over America. Can we do that and lift our hands to him? And let's pray not only for ourselves, but that God would put his hand on churches all over America that will once again proudly proclaim the gospel. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive us for all the churches that have caved into the culture, that have thrown their Bibles out, 
that have been embarrassed to stand for you. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we ask you to give us the boldness that was on Paul, that was on the disciples, that they took your truth into every nook and cranny of the known world, and they were not ashamed. And because of their boldness, they turned the world upside down, They were a force to be reckoned with. Lord, in Jesus' name, make every person in this room salt and light, speaking the truth in love. Now I want you to pray that prayer yourself to him. Say, Lord, I want not just the nice part of you, but I want every part of you to be manifested through my life speaking the truth in love, strong in the faith. Lord, you hear this prayer and you see this people. Help us, Lord, to make a dent in the work of the enemy in this culture. We believe you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, the Son of the living God. Amen. Give him a hand.